Good evening. Take your Bibles, if you would, and take to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter number 7. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 1 in just a moment. I wonder if you can name the one scripture that even those who make no claim to be Christians seem to know. Few teachings of the Lord are better known or more quoted than when the Lord said, Do not judge, lest ye be judged yourself. It also has to be said that likewise, few sayings are more misunderstood or misquoted than this one. For most people who quote this verse don't understand what Jesus is saying. They seem to think that Jesus commanded a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or any teaching. In our country, we're told loud and long that no one has the right to judge the actions of another person. They interpret, do not judge lest ye be judged, to mean that you cannot judge what is right and wrong in any case or any situation Especially, don't try to tell me that I'm doing something wrong. Nothing is more important in our society than being tolerant. Tolerant of other viewpoints, religions, lifestyles. So much so that the fear of being deemed intolerant, judgmental, has taken on rather epidemic proportions. The Bible does, however, teach tolerance when it comes to many things, but it does not teach tolerance when it comes to truth. It teaches scrutiny. In the book of Acts, the church at Berea was commended for searching the scriptures to see if they were being taught was true. So we need to realize that Christian tolerance does not commit us to a relativistic perspective. Being tolerant doesn't mean that we can't criticize what's going on around us. Tolerance does not require us to approve of what other people believe and do. It's one thing to insist that other people have the right to express their convictions It's an entirely another thing to say that all religious viewpoints are equally true. To say that all beliefs and values deserve to be treated as if they are equal is nonsense. And it is a perspective that is incompatible with Christian faith and practice. Christian tolerance does not mean refusing to make judgments about what is good and true. For one thing, it really is not possible to be completely non-judgmental. Even telling someone else that they are being judgmental is judgmental. So the first thing we need to deal with is what is it that Jesus is calling us to do or not do. So when he says, judge not, that ye be not judged, it would perhaps be easier to say what he did not mean. Jesus is not saying we should never pass any sort of judgment on anything. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we're told to test those who would preach or teach to us. 
It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone forth into the world. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 11, But I have written you to not keep company with anyone called a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an exhorter, not even to eat with such a person. That, of course, demands that we make a judgment of some sort. As we see what the Lord is speaking about to those, we find it is he's making a comment about those who make a habit of criticism and condemnation. Those individuals who seem to think that having a critical spirit is one of the spiritual gifts. The word judge here is is not to reach a conclusion. The meaning of the word translated judge is determined by context, but it can mean to condemn. And that's what Jesus is forbidding. I like the way the Modern translation of the message paraphrases these verses. He says, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. The critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. The command, then, is not a command to be blind, but rather to be generous in our judgments. And so let's look at what judging tells us here. In the scripture, four things to beware of in our judging. First of all, beware of judging by appearance alone. We're told in John chapter 7, verse 24, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. The following story appeared in a newsletter that was entitled, Our America. Dodie Gaydon a school teacher for 13 years, decided to travel across America and see the sites that she'd been teaching about. Traveling alone in a truck with a camper in tow, she launched out. One afternoon, rounding a curve in I-5 near Sacramento in rush hour traffic, a water pump blew on her truck. She was tired, she was exasperated, she was scared, and she was alone. In spite of the traffic jam she caused, no one seemed to be interested in helping her. Leaning against the trailer, she prayed, Please, God, send me an angel, preferably one with mechanical experience. Within four minutes, a huge Harley-Davidson drove up, ridden by an enormous man sporting a long black hair and a beard and tattooed arms. With an incredible air of confidence, he jumped off and, without even glancing at her, went to work on her truck. Within a few minutes, he had flagged down a larger truck, attached a tow chain to the frame of the disabled Chevy, and taken the whole thing, 56 feet of it, off the freeway onto a side street where he continued calmly to work on the water pump. The intimidated schoolteacher was too dumbfounded to talk, especially when she read the paralyzing words on the back of his leather jacket, Hell's Angels, California. As he finished the task, he finally got up the courage to say, thanks so much, and to carry out a brief conversation with the man. 
Noticing her surprise at the whole ordeal, he looked her straight in the eye and he said, don't judge a book by its cover. You may not know who you're talking to. And with that, he smiled, closed the hood of the truck, straddled his Harley and rode away. Given half a chance, people often crawl out of the boxes into which we have relegated them. And I think it's a valid point. We need to not beware of judging by appearance. Secondly, beware of judging by inner motivation. We sometimes criticize others unfairly. We don't know their circumstances nor their motives. Only God, who is aware of all the facts, is able to judge people righteously about their motivation. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I can judge someone's actions, but I really can't judge why they do it. I can judge what someone says, but I cannot judge why they say it. So we have to beware of judging other people's inner motivation. And third, we need to beware of snap judgments not grounded in fact. For some reason, it's easier to jump to negative conclusions about people than it is to assume the best about them. When we do this, we ascribe to them bad intentions and evil purposes, which may not be true. We also reveal something about ourselves, for the faults we see in others are usually a reflection of our own faults. I love the story about a cookie thief at the airport, which I think perfectly illustrates this point. A woman was waiting at the airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop. She bought a bag of cookies and she found a place to sit. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man seated beside her, as bold as he could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag that sat between them, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She read, munched cookies, watched the clock, as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more and more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I weren't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. With only one cookie left, she wondered what he'd do, and with a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half, gave her half. She snatched it from his hand, thinking, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve. He is so rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so irritated. She sighed with relief when her flight was finally called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate. Refusing to look back at that thieving ingrate, she boarded the plane, she sank, sank into her seat, and then she sought her book, which was almost completed. She reached into her baggage and she gasped with surprise. There was a bag of cookies in the front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair, then the others were his. And he tried to share. 
too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one and that she was the ingrate, not him. So we have to be careful about making snap judgments that are not based in fact. And fourth, beware of the temptation to use ourselves as a standard of measurement. Most of our judgments in regards to others are wrong, not because we judge them according to a standard, but because we judge them hypocritically by the standard of our own lives. And then we tend to ignore that standard in our own lives. We see this plainly beginning in verse 2 where Jesus says, For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but do not consider the plank in your own eyes? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eyes, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus intends the image of the plank and the speck or the moat and the beam to be a ridiculous image. He points out that all too human tendency to see the faults of others while we ignore them in ourselves. We judge others by one standard and ourselves by another standard being far more generous to ourselves than we are to them. Jesus says, make sure the problem is not yours. The story is told about a man having difficulty communicating with his wife. He concluded that she was becoming hard of hearing. So he decided to conduct a test without her knowledge. One evening, he sat in a chair on the far side of the room. His back was to her where she could not see him, and very quietly he whispered, Can you hear me? No response. Moving a little closer, he asked again, Can you hear me now? Still no response. Quietly he edged closer, and he whispered the same words, but still no answer. Finally, he moved right behind her chair and said, Can you hear me now? To his surprise, she responded with irritation in her voice and said, for the fourth time, yes, I hear you. Which is a realization, a warning about our judgment. All too often, that which we are so quick to judge in other persons may be a problem in our own life. Paul says in Romans 2, 1, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you may judge for in whatever you judge another one, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same thing. The problem here is the human tendency to harshly condemn in others the problem we may have in our own lives. There is, of course, an Old Testament example found in Second Samuel chapter 12. We read there about the encounter between King David and the prophet Nathaniel, Nathan, I'm sorry. King David is at the lowest point in his life morally, having taken Uriah's wife, having committed adultery with her. He discovered that she was pregnant with his child, and 
In his schemes to cover up the pregnancy, he had her husband Uriah murdered. It is at this point that Nathan comes to him to seek his advice about a problem, about a crime. Nathan told the king a story. He said, there's a poor family that had a little lamb. It was their pet. Across the road lived a wealthy man with many sheep. Some company came to visit the wealthy man, and so he decided to serve them lamb. But instead of using one from his own fold, the rich man went into the neighbor's field and stole the family pet and killed it and said, What do you think should be done to this man, O king? Well, David's unconfessed sin of adultery and murder only seemed to make him even more critical. He exploded with anger, and he said, that dirty, rotten scoundrel, he should die. He must pay back four times for what he has taken. Nathan said to him, David, you are the man. God gave you everything you could have desired, and yet you were not satisfied And you went and stole another man's wife. We have to be careful that we we aren't condemning others because we have a suppressed guilt of unconfessed sin in our own lives. It is so much easier to see the faults of others than it is to see our own. Sometimes some of the most unchristian conduct can be cloaked in a concern for what we suspect is going on in someone else's life. A New Testament example would be Judas. When he condemned Mary for her extravagant display of affection for Jesus, after she had anointed Jesus with fragrant oil, Judas said in John chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take from it that which was put into it. Judas' condemnation of Mary was prompted by his own guilt for the misuse of funds that had been entrusted to him. Human nature is, in a sense, very predictable. When we have a problem in our lives, we begin to see it in others, which is if we find ourselves tempted to judge another person on any failure in their life, we should immediately recognize this is a signal to examine our own lives for a similar failure. According to the teaching of some of the rabbis in Jesus' time, God had two measures that he used to judge people. One was a measure of justice, and the other was a measure of mercy. Which measure do you want God to use on you? Then we should use that measure with others. Whenever we as Christians warn against or condemn anything in our society because we seem to have lost our moral moorings, it is not uncommon to hear someone misquote Matthew 7, 1. To counter what they see is a judgmental attitude. But as we've seen in this text, this is a twisting of what Jesus actually said. Clearly, Jesus was not forbidding making moral evaluations. 
For Christians to be the salt and the light is essential to make sound moral judgments, but we must do so with a humble and loving attitude. The point is that believers are not to manifest a judgmental, critical, fault-finding attitude, always being negative, always carping about things, always criticizing always being aware of minor problems in the lives of others while being oblivious to the faults of our own. I want to conclude this evening by reading this story that really struck a nerve with me. Maybe it will with you. In another state, there was a young woman who visited a small church where she felt the tug of God at her heart. That night, she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. This woman had a very rough past that included drugs, alcohol, and prostitution. But God claimed her and cleansed her and made her one of his daughters. So she left her old lifestyle, and as time went by, she became a faithful member of that little church. She became involved in the ministry of teaching children. The pastor's son, who was single, also taught children, and soon she caught his eye. The relationship grew, they fell in love, and started to make wedding plans, and that's when the trouble began. Some of the church individuals started to circle and spread gossip about her past and offered their opinion that she was not a suitable candidate to marry the pastor's son. The little church was soon rocked by division and argument over this matter. They decided to have a meeting to discuss the issue. As the meeting progressed, people began to talk about the young woman's sordid past, and soon the meeting got out of hand. The young woman became very upset and began to cry. Finally, the pastor's son stood to speak, and everyone got quiet. And this is what he said. My fiancé's past is not on trial here tonight. What you're actually questioning is the ability of the blood of Jesus to wash away sins. You have put the blood of Christ on trial. Does it wash away sin or not? When the church members heard this, they began to weep and repent as they realized they had been slandering the blood of Christ. As Christians, how can we be critical of other brothers and sisters who we believe have a past worse than ours? If the blood of Jesus Christ can't cleanse them completely, then he can't cleanse me. But the blood of Jesus does cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Of Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we recognize that there are times that it is much easier to see faults in other people than faults in ourselves. And sometimes we excuse ourselves at the very time that we're accusing others. Father, I pray that that illustration that we read tonight might find a lodging place in our hearts to recognize that the blood of Jesus does cleanse every sin. 
that those things that have been under the blood, those things that have been repented of, we have no reason to bring out about another individual. Father, help us to live our lives so that we are clean, that um, we might be a, the salt and light in this world, and at the same time, help us to realize it is okay to say, you know, not all teachings are the same, not all are equal. Uh, they can't be. But your word tells us that there is just one way to heaven and that Jesus is that way, that no matter what others may say and what, how they want to compare and make religions all the same, your word says there's only one way and that Jesus is that way. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us and cleansing us and giving, a, giving us a purpose. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.